What is up, everybody? Welcome back to 2021 DFS MVP. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. This is the seventh season of the DFS MVP podcast, episode 154. Today, to start things off this season, we're going to take a first look at week one DraftKings contests and talk a little bit about game selection with those contests. But first, if you are new to DFS MVP, this is a strategy-based DFS podcast. We like to focus on how to play DFS. We're not just trying to tell you who to play during the season. We'll give you your typical uh, favorite weekly FanDuel and DraftKings values, but we also go in-depth every week on a new theory topic that ranges from the macro to just how to play DFS and look at the game to the micro, like uh, game selection, bankroll management. During the preseason, all of our shows are strategy-based to get you ready. Uh, if you want to get caught up on some of these theory evergreen segments, go to 4 for 4, head to the DFS Strategy Hub, and you will find a huge backlog of all of those segments as well as a bunch of evergreen uh, content. And 2021, since uh, this is the first DFS piece of content we have for the season, things are going to look a little bit different on 4 for 4. We're still going to have all of the great content, uh, the podcasts, the discords, uh, but things are moving a little bit. Uh, the new content plan in the past, we've released everything on Thursdays just so people have something to look at to the Thursday to Monday slate. That slate has shrunk exponentially, and one of the biggest requests for from you guys has been to get content later in the week so that it's more accurate that there's less updates so this podcast as well as all of the main slate written podcasts will be moved to Fridays instead of Thursdays this year included in that DFS MVP will be live streaming every week starting next Thursday and then Friday the 27th of August we will move to our normal Friday 3 p.m. time slot. Uh, we're going to be doing a weekly live Discord show where we talk all GPP strategy. We're generally talking about uh, cash games here and this is free. That weekly Discord show will be subscriber only and we're also going to be doing a live cash game review show every Monday where we go over FanDuel DraftKings hits misses things that we want to note but the biggest news for DFS MVP podcast in 2021 I have myself a new co-host Matt Savoka draftaholic on Twitter you might know him from Osmo great work with DataViz great work on YouTube you've heard of on podcasts he does a weekly matchup breakdown at Osmo last year that was fantastic this year he's going to be doing our weekly FanDuel cash game breakdown which I wrote last year and obviously he'll be joining me here as well as that weekly cash game review that I just mentioned I'll be writing the DraftKings cash game article each week so we'll have a really great dynamic with that Matt welcome to DFS MVP podcast I'm excited to have you as the fourth official member of DFS MVP um, welcome Tell the listeners about yourself. Tell them about your DFS history. Anything else uh, that they might want to know about you, man? TJ, what's going on? I'm so thrilled to be here. Um, yeah. We were talking about it a little bit before the show started, but I was just getting into DFS right around 2015, 2016, and one of the very first podcasts I ever pulled up on this topic was the DFS MVP. So I absolutely heard some of those first episodes of you and Raybon chopping yeah. it up and you know that just started me down the path to 
degenerate status where we're at now, of course. Well, uh, you've, you've moved past degenerate status. You're full on uh, contributor status. You were all over uh, the Awesome channel before, and we're stoked to have you over here. So, I mean, uh, yeah, well, what's, uh, tell us a little bit about that little DFS journey you've been on uh, since, since those early DFS MVP days. Yeah, of course. Um, so, you, like everybody, I had played casual leagues, seasonal leagues for decades, yada, yada, yada. And mm-hmm. I really started by playing best ball in yeah. 2015, 2016, right around that same time, rest in peace, draft.com, the GOAT. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I was also considering changing careers. So I was yeah. starting to go down this data viz journey while also seeing you know, what I could do with creating content. And, you know, after a couple of profitable best ball seasons, I started to dive more into not only data analysis and coding, but also where else could this fantasy football journey take me? And that, of course, led me to DFS. Uh, And then uh, right as I was finishing my studies at the end of 2019, we all know how 2020 started for us all. And that uh, started me on a on a new course to really go all in on DFS yeah, uh, and then Osimo started at the beginning of the 2020 season. And from there, it's just been uh, just a wild ride. It's been awesome creating content for everyone. And the response has been great. And uh, as you can tell, I like to talk. So I can't <laughs> wait to get into it. No, nah, man. I mean, obviously, uh, we're really good friends with everybody over at, at the Osimo site. I, I do the uh, podcast show, you know, a couple of times a year. And I mean, one thing that um stands out about you and anybody that listens to dfs mvp or or has been a a 4 for 4 subscriber before is i mean we're very process driven process oriented uh we're really focused on making sure like i said at the top of the pot people are are, know how to do the right research not just giving them the results of our research and um we're we're not going to be one of those those podcasts or websites that that's pounding our chest and and uh you know living that screenshot life when we have our hits we'll definitely share them but um you know we're trying to to explain people the process and that's one thing that has really uh stood out about you over the years and i think it's going to be a really good fit it's going to be a really fun season and the listeners are even by the end of this podcast i I think you guys will be excited of how sharp matt is and and his thoughts that he has to bring to the table i think we we approach the game very similarly and, and think about the game very similarly. And it'll be fun. Your, uh, your experience with the data viz and, and YouTube's only going to elevate what we're doing um, there. So, yeah, man, just, just excited to have you here. It's going to be an awesome season. Uh, I mean, you mentioned you kind of got into everything with, with best ball. And it's interesting because uh, before we get into everything today, like I only play uh, – NFL DFS. So outside of redraft, I have a, a, a pretty big um, gap, at least in terms of finding games to play. So one thing I've been doing a lot this year is playing uh, a bunch of best ball and specifically a, a bunch of underdog fantasy games. Um, for those that, that are only listening to this for, for DFS uh, content or um, are just new to the idea of best ball, basically it's, it's super simple. It's just a draft only league. You set it, you forget it. Uh, for underdog, you draft your team in a 12 team league, um, 18 rounds. You get the highest score possible in your lineup each week. There's no trades, no waivers, no lineup uh, settings. And if you haven't played yet right now, new users who deposit $10 on underdog, you can get a classic or a pro four for four sub and you can 
could also get $25 from Underdog. Just go to 444.com slash underdog. That's the number four, F-O-R, number four.com slash underdog. Uh, that $25 is really important that you get for the bonus. It's equivalent to one buy-in in this year's Best Ball Mania 2 tournament on Underdog. That is a tournament with $3.5 million in prizes. First place gets a million dollars um I've been firing at this contest like crazy, Matt. I think you've been playing it quite a bit. And one thing that I, I like about best ball, but this tournament structure specifically, is there's a lot of overlap uh, with DFS. I, I think one of the biggest edges that DFS players have in these type of tournaments is we're used to thinking in terms of edges and being contrarian. And a lot of traditional redraft players aren't in that mindset um so again as i mentioned you could go to four for four and read a bunch of uh strategy whether it be dfs uh, strategy or go to our best ball section and look at strategy specifically uh for this best ball mania tournament but matt i wanted to ask you what are are some things that you take from dfs and, and have applied to this best ball mania tournament well, first of all, we got to think about the last few weeks of this tournament as mm. being straight up DFS contests. Obviously, yeah. we got to make it there. That means we have to have enough of a floor so that we don't have any of these cratering weeks that take us out of first or second place, I believe, that gets you into the playoffs. But from there, you're going to have to differentiate yourself from thousands upon thousands of entries. And what does that yeah. sound like? That sounds like the exact same <laughs> yeah, game we play every single weekend. Yeah. So... Uh, you really got to know your contest, know how many people you're ultimately going up against. And so if you're talking about the best ball mania tournament or the puppy tournament, which uh, the, that $5 version, which yeah. closed up so fast because it was so popular, uh, you're competing against so many people. You're going to have to do some weird things. So mm. you're going to hear on the surface level, of course, you need to create some sort of stack. You need to stack your quarterback with some sort of wide receiver because as most of our listeners already know, when the quarterback does well, their top wideouts are likely to do well with them. But we want to be making stacks that the rest of the field is either too scared or doesn't want to make. Uh, I can admit that I have a best ball mania tournament with uh, Jared Goff and receivers not named <laughs> TJ Hawkinson. Okay. Uh, because yeah. that's the kind of risk I'm willing to take in a tournament like that. If I'm in a standard 12-team league, which I also really enjoy on best ball, uh, or on, on underdog specifically, yeah. I'm not going to be making stacks like that. I'm going to be making much more traditional, higher ADP, your Kansas Cities, your Seattles, your Buffaloes. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, I like that a lot. Like the, I mean, we'll get into a ton of like uh, lineup differentiation when we get into uh, like like some some deeper uh, segments or articles just on best ball specifically. But like, I think that's a really good point. Um, how to be different in these best ball tournaments? Like a lot of players are, are drafted in 100% of leagues. So it's not like DFS where you're necessarily going to get low ownership, but you can get low ownership combos. Um, one that I've kind of been firing at a little bit lately, not a lot, but I think is interesting is uh, when I do have Broncos wide receivers, when it just kind of falls that way, taking some shots at Drew Locke. I know a lot of people think that Teddy Bridgewater is uh, the better quarterback, which he probably is, but Drew Locke might, if this offense is quote-unquote like unlocked, it might be Drew Locke that does it just because he's the one that's going to chuck it downfield. And if he is better, obviously a lot better than he was last year, I, th I think that's where a lot of the upside of the offense would come from. So just thinking about things like that that sound um, 
basically disgusting uh, <laughs> on the surface level. But like you said, that's the only way that that you're going to um, to really differentiate differentiate yourself. So I mean, just kind of thinking on that level, um, are there like any teams or strategies that you've just thought about uh, that are really contrarian or unusual or like different types of roster builds that people might not be doing that are that are kind of contrarian? Well, again, especially in these tournaments, I'm not afraid to do unorthodox correlations. And what I mean mm -hmm. by that are positive correlations that we don't typically think about. It seems that at this point in most people's DFS knowledge base, they know about quarterback and wide receivers, quarterbacks and tight ends, running backs and defenses. We know those are positively correlated. But running back ones and quarter, quarterback ones are highly co uh, correlated as well, while it still feels like it takes one not doing well for the other to have their ceiling game. That is true. They often, as a team, perform well, which means mm. that they both do well at the same time. The other one you can take advantage of in best ball is a quarterback and their opposing quarterback yes. on the other side of the field have a very high correlation. And because we don't play super flex DFS most weekends, we can't take advantage of that. But that might be a situation where you break a tie in your draft rankings by going with a quarterback combination that might play each other twice uh, mm -hmm. i wouldn't be afraid to go with the nfc east let's say you get somebody Ooh, like a dak like prescott that. and then maybe you want to double it up with ryan fitzpatrick maybe you get double shootouts when they meet twice this year where as usually those are defensive slogs yeah i i think you could do that for the entire nfc west as well and kind of piggybacking off of that uh one thing that i'm doing really late in my drafts is when i'm like you said, that tiebreaker situation, I'm looking at which quarterbacks I already have and looking for opposing correlations uh, in their week 17 game. Um, so if I have a quarterback from, uh, I don't have the matchups in front of me, but maybe um, wh whoever, I think it the, the, the Packers and Vikings are playing in, in week 17. So if I have an Aaron Rodgers team, I might just fire it at like a, a Irv Smith late in my draft because that week 17 is is where the, uh, the big million dollar payouts come from. So that's where we're looking for that upside so yeah thinking about like those again deep dfs um, ideas like opposing stacks is interesting uh i just want to touch on one last best ball thing before we get to to the meat of the podcast one thing that you're doing that's kind of different this running back dead zone has kind of caught everybody's ear and eye um you got any thoughts on on drafting those mid-round running backs and if you think that's a way to be a little different yeah i i have seen a ton of great articles, particularly this season, um, using the stat win rate or a percentage of teams to make the playoffs, things like that. Those are great ways to look at the quality of a player's season. Uh, I think it's a great stat. However, there have been specific data sets that are specific to only 2020 that are going to be heavily skewed or skewing player performance or the ideas of win rates in certain rounds. And so this idea of the running back dead zone has started to emerge. And now there's actually been some, some research that shows that over the last couple of years, it has been worse than the wide receiver. But looking at it, I really think that you just have to decide when the running back 
tier truly falls off. And sometimes that does fall into the third or fourth round in some seasons. I know this is completely anecdotal, but Todd Gurley, the year he was a league winner, was a third round pick. It almost feels like at this very moment that the minute we hit pick 24 in a draft, we're not supposed to touch them because the wide receivers are so good. And I'm not going to deny the talent of the wide receivers in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. But being unable to see a scenario where a player like Mike Davis or Chris Carson or David Montgomery returns value or even league winning upside. I think that's an incorrect way of looking at things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we, anytime we're looking at, like you said, the, the win rate data, like we have to not necessarily that it's noise, but we just have to be careful with what we're looking at and, Anytime we get into these traps where whether it's DFS or best ball, like just treating these things as gospel and having these hard lines that will never cross. Um, uh, it's, it's pretty dangerous territory. But I mean, like I said, we have a, a ton of best ball content right now specifically for this tournament. Uh, if you want to check that out and get that deposit bonus, remember to go to 444.com slash underdog and you'll get the details on how to get signed up for that. Uh, let's get into what we're here to talk about today. Uh, earlier this week, we had uh, salaries. Everyone says salaries launched on, on DraftKings, right? But we got our contest. Those launched too, right? That's kind of important. So uh, everyone's tempted to go in and, and look at the salaries, see who the best values are, see who's cheap. We still have over a month before kickoff. Uh, we're not going to know that stuff. Players are going to get hurt. Things are going to open up but the contests aren't going to change uh, we know which games are there and we could start looking into which contests gpp specifically since i mean cash games are going to be the same uh week in week out year in year out um let's kind of take a look at those and and before we do that uh let's get the dfs mvp listeners familiar with matt's strategy and just talk a little bit about how you um implement gpps into your game so uh, let's just start off with one of the the most popular the questions about GPPs. How much um, are you playing in terms of how much you're allocating uh, percentage of your weekly buy-ins or total bankrolls to uh, GPPs compared to cash games? So I put 30% to GPPs mm-hmm. uh, with a big asterisk because yeah. this is so dependent on your personal level of risk, your overall bankroll. And we're going to yeah. get into some of the specifics in a little bit. But right now there are some weeks where I'm okay taking on a little bit more risk But as the guide to DFS bankroll says in the strategy hub, I really think somewhere between 70 and 85% of your weekly bankroll going to cash games is the best way to move towards consistent profitability. Now, I know that there is uh, a lot of people who are also just playing DFS to have a little bit more fun with their football Sunday. And in those cases it might be okay for those people to put a higher percentage on GPPs. But most weeks when Sunday rolls around, you want to have a really firm grasp of your cash game lineup, feel like you can be ahead of the field. And at that point, you should be able to have consistent profitable weekends, which means higher buy-in tournaments, even better GPPs in your future. Yeah, um, I I think your first point is really important for people to understand because we have laid out like these... 80 20 10 type rules before um especially if you are a brand new player or or a novice player that you're you're not sure how good you are yet uh having that uh game split where your risk of ruin is going to be really low is going to keep you motivated to keep getting better i mean there are people who can get away playing gpp only a lot of those people have been playing for um 
a lot of years they know very precisely uh, their win expectations and they also have really big bankrolls. I mean, if you're new and you fire off $100 two weeks in a row and you lose all 100 of those dollars each week, like you're not going to have a good experience. So two of the, the um, articles that you kind of touched on in the bankroll management section in the strategy hub um, are articles that I've written. One is on setting goals for bankroll management. The other is on risk management. They touch almost nothing on the exact numbers that you should be playing, but just understand what you're trying to accomplish when you decide how much you're playing. And and uh, for a lot of people, yeah, 30% is like kind of on the highest side, but depending on exactly what we're trying to accomplish, um, that makes a lot of sense. So how how are you thinking about like that 30%, let's just say that's the whole week. Um, how are you thinking about how you're, you're allocating that 30%? You have your 30% of your weekly money in play. I mean, are you playing different slates, different game types? I mean, there, at this point, there's tons of tournaments, right? We have uh, anything from a million maker to a showdown to a single entry tournament. And those single entry tournaments can range from 100 people to 20,000 people. So how, do you, how are you navigating those things? Well, I would be the first to admit that the main slate is probably the most fun DFS slate that there mm -hmm. is, maybe in any sport. And yeah. so while it might be the toughest, and there's certainly such a large amount of people, which mm -hmm. inevitably means there's a large amount of sharks, there it's still one of the most enjoyable experiences of my football week. However, I think there are a ton of edges in these smaller slates, mm -hmm. in these different slates, and even in possibly these different types of play. Now, with Showdown, I, I think Showdown is a really, really interesting format, but because it's relatively new, it may not draw in the casual fans, the people who are just trying to spend a few bucks on a Sunday, the people I just described in my, my last diatribe. <laughs> so you might have less overall uh, fish, if you would say, but sure. that doesn't mean that there isn't some edge there because you're also not having a large amount of people who are masters at that game because it's relatively new and we're still figuring out the edges there. So yeah. uh, the short answer is, if you want to maximize your profits at all time with DFS, I think playing anything but the main slate is what you probably end up doing. If you want to have the most fun with your DFS week, I think putting a little in the main slate is the best way to go. Yeah, is I mean, let's let's just pretend we're only playing on DraftKings since we're, that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, are you going into to every week knowing like I'm putting 50% of my tournament money in say the short slate, uh, a couple dollars in the prime time, a couple dollars in the early only, or like, how are you thinking about which slate you want to play? Let's, let's take showdown out of the equation just for simplicity sake. Are you uh, always playing early slate? Only always playing late slate. Those, those slates change. Like the, the sizes of those slates change a lot. Like sometimes it'll be five teams. Sometimes it'll be 10 teams. Uh, and then you get into overlap with the main slate. Um, so like, are you thinking about, tournaments that are available, players you want uh, uh, access to, all of those things? Yes. The short answer is yes. I'm trying to create a process where I can consistently spin up strong lineups for any slate that begins mm -hmm. at any time. Yeah. However, the simple fact of life is we can't always create enough time to create lineups for every single slate, especially when they're all over the place in terms of when they start. And don't even get me started about the changing times of games in 2020. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> Ultimately, what we want to do is create a consistent process so that when we get to the point where we're 
updating our lineups into DraftKings and we've entered our contests, we know that we've done the best strategy possible for that particular slate. And yes. I think one of the best ways we can go about that is starting, like we are today, from the contest in. You're going to see so many podcasts over the course of the next week or really month about the players. But mm -hmm. there is always a little bit of edge to be found in taking the extra time or even entering some of these contests early so that you can spend the rest of your time just get working on the players and getting that exactly right. Yeah, I, I think there is also like a, um, I think there's a really good psychological trick to playing multiple slates. And I'll use cash games for an example, but it, it relates to GPPs as well. Um, if you're playing the main slate and for whatever reason, let's use a, a high end running back, you don't think Derrick Henry is the optimal play, um, but you play one lineup in cash and you are really uh, hesitant about having a, a non-Derrick Henry cash lineup, um, it, I, don't, I think it's rarely optimal just to hedge for the sake of hedging. Uh, playing multiple slates will, will let you naturally hedge. So on the, on the smaller slate where the other running back isn't there, it might be optimal to play him where it might not be on, on the main slate. So you get kind of that, that psychological um, uh, boost in knowing that you have some exposure to him. And that obviously works in, in, in tournaments and, and the different games that are available. A lot of times uh, you can't have access to every stack you want to or, or every wide receiver three that you think could pop um, if you're just playing one slate. But if you're playing multiple slates, you can do that um, without naturally hedging. And, and I think that those little psychological tricks sometimes can be uh, as important as, as the actual nuts and bolts of, of game selection and, and doing things properly based on how much money you have in play. So uh, I think it's really important to be playing multiple slates. Um, I still haven't got into showdown personally, but I, I think it's probably a leak that I haven't taken the time to do it. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you in, in playing multiple slates, but uh, let's just, let's pull it back or pull it in a little bit um, and get more specific ab about talking about how we're selecting our GPP. So again, since since the only thing that's released on the slate right now is, th is the main slate and just because that is what most people are playing, when we finally figure out what slate we were on, what are you looking at in terms of trying to figure out which actual games you want to sign up for? Well, first of all, shout out to you who are tweeting out, doing humans work over here, uh, <laughs> tweeting out the table of the tournaments and with some very, very interesting metrics like the percent paid, the percent of prizes that go to first place, basically giving us all the metrics we need to talk about right here because sure. we're obviously looking to create lineups that have a chance at first place. Everyone knows that. But yeah. the way that these payouts are structured varies from tournament to tournament. And sometimes the way the, the ball bounces, you have an unbelievable week, but you end up in third, fourth, or fifth place. But what you see for some of these tournaments, especially with these huge top prizes, the fall off, even to third place, yes. is drastic. And it, it, not to say that winning any money is always good, but we want to find tournaments that have a slightly flatter payout. And I think that's even more important when you're paying, uh, playing with a smaller bankroll because it's going to boost your confidence naturally to you know, get a high up tournament score and then see your bankroll increase at a solid amount, even if you didn't get first place. So uh, the, the top prizes are smaller. I think there's a slight edge in 
perfecting your single entry and three entry play. I really enjoy that type of GPP play. Even 20 entry play has some mm-hmm. really intriguing game theory elements and strategy elements because you can compete with an optimizer. You can compete by mm-hmm. creating lineups by hand. And even then the strategy changes wildly because they have these 20 entry max with say 15,000 people, but you can also find 20 entry max with 500 to 700 people that around that area and that changes the strategy wildly yeah uh i mean the i think a lot of people like what they uh, one question i get a lot um to to your point is how would you how would you build in a single entry tournament and it's like well like you said the strategy changes based on how many people are in that tournament right so a single entry tournament with 500 people is way different than a single entry tournament with 50,000 people but for some reason there's like this these new players see single entry and and I think they um they kind of freeze up and think like should I just be playing like a cash lineup I I can't cover all my bases so to speak and that's a really bad way to think uh so like yeah I I definitely agree with that and the point you're trying to that you were making about the the flat payout structures um that is that's really important to me just because I think th- even though we see the upside and we see these huge first place prizes, again, just going back to the casual players having a, a good or a bad experience, if you have a, I, I don't even have a structure in front of me, but just throwing out some numbers, if you have a 99th percentile lineup and you only 5x your money, like that's not a fun experience, right? You beat 120,000 <laughs> out of 150,000 players and turned your $2 into $10. Like, what are we doing here? So that's why um, I, I want to look for flatter structures. And I think it just, it's just going to be higher EV in the long run if if you have, you know, an expectation where you're going to cash, um, if they pay out 20% of the time and you think you can cash 30 to 35% of the time, you want a little bit more money on, on, on those min caches or, or five turn a 5X into a 10X. Um, um, those numbers really add up a lot uh you talked about you kind of touched on um like maximizing single entry and 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 three max strategy and and i think before the season starts we'll probably get into the the lineup building of that part but sure um just touch on like what that means from like basically keeping the the field even right like instead versus 150 max yeah so obviously as we said probably the most important aspect of a tournament is how many entrants are in that tournament. And so even if it's the same amount of entries of lineups, 1, 3, 20, 150, the number of people in that tournament that you're trying to be to beat, because again, this is a game against other people, even though we're all trying to guess the same events, that changes our strategy a lot. So what I like to think about, especially in these single entry or three entry play, is the phrase chunk of chalk. You can take a chunk of chalk, and do use we, it do we already your... have do we already have a hashtag like into our first <laughs> podcast of the season there we go there we go put it on the list put it on the board right. <laughs> um because you don't have especially in these tournaments that don't have two hundred thousand people in them yeah. you don't have to deviate from what looks like an optimal lineup in yes. a in a cash game with every single pick in fact it's suboptimal to do it with more than two, three, or four players in your lineup. Probably if you're doing yep. four, you're doing something very unorthodox and good luck with that. But what that makes it very interesting because then the game becomes a little bit about can you delineate good chalk from bad chalk? Meaning yeah. players that are good and high-priced for a reason 
and players that are high priced because they seem to be in smash spots when really there's something beneath the surface that we can suss out that the rest of the competition can't. That's where we can really maximize profits. And I find that game to, to be, that mini game to be super intriguing, let alone the fact that you can make three lineups in these three entry tournaments that sort of work as one cohesive lineup with some uh, usage of the same player across all three, but slowly or just softly hedging against certain outcomes or scenarios with each lineup. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think you, like you said, even if we look at every week, I, I do a, a Millie Maker uh, review, and even in those tournaments, we're often seeing one, if not two players, over 20% owned, and often multiple players that are like around 15%. Um, so to like extrapolate that to, you know, a, a 300 person field where everybody only has three entry, entries to try to be super unique in every spot, um, you're just not going to be building profitably. And again, we'll, by the end of this month, we'll definitely get into like how to build lineups for, for different types of games. Uh, but I, I agree, there's, there's a huge edge just in how people are approaching these games. Like just the fact that these smaller tournaments, like, one one thing that I think is really important is that you get some upside with your cash tournaments and, and the way uh, with your cash lineups and the way to do that, just throw it into some small tournaments. But naturally, if people are doing that, that means there's going to probably be some dead money or at least some lineups that don't have a great chance at coming in first place if there's even a small percentage of people in the tournament that you're playing that are just throwing a cash game lineup in there. Um beyond just looking at at the main lobby and, and looking at these featured contests um are there any uh non-featured contests that that you fire at whether it be for gpp or for like for your cash upside at all like there's there's a lot of games that people never talk about maybe not even know exists um if they don't have a star next to them a lot of people never even see them in the lobby but it's there's true. these leagues there's these leagues there's these hundred mans these winner take all and there's there's lots of reasons for them to play them there's lots of different strategies to play them are any of them like in your mix every week no matter what or that you're looking for i can't say that anything is in the mix every single mm -hmm. week no matter what but i okay. do take some time to go off the beaten path and i yeah. absolutely want to mention especially for people who have access to optimizers you know if you don't have a ton of bankroll one of the great ways to just get your feet wet and work on putting in 150 max entries is check out the that most weeks that they have 10 cent or 25 cent entry mm -hmm. tournaments and that's a great way to have a low payment entry obviously there's going to be a ton of participants in those tournaments but it's a great way to just get your get your head around the concept of making 150 lineups having them work together and i absolutely have done that as i started out with dfs to just get my feet wet to get started with it yeah, I mean, playing playing 150 lineups, learning an optimizer, learning how to export lineups, that alone uh, is a skill. Um, and, and to be able to learn how to do that for 15 bucks instead of 1500 bucks is um, it's going to save you a lot of money and a lot of pain <laughs> and a lot of anguish. Um, I, I, I kind of briefly touched on, um, you know, having some upside to your cash lineup. I don't know if this is like the optimal strategy, but obviously if you're, this isn't a cash podcast right now, but if if your cash lineup goes off for 200 plus and, and you only have it in head to heads, that sucks. You don't get no prize for it. I like to look for these really small um, winner take all or um, top three win 
tournaments or, or hundred man leagues. Um, but make sure they're single entry and, and throw my cash lineup. And there's, uh, I, I look at the lineups. There's people that are playing those like regular tournaments and stacking, and and you might be like slightly negative EV versus those, but. All you need is your cash lineup to hit once or twice for a season, and I mean, if you turn your five bucks into, into a thousand in a winner-take-all, um, you know that's you just need that one hit all year. And I, I think that's probably the easiest way to get upside in my cash lineups. And and if I'm playing five, six, seven hundred bucks, and I just have to spend five bucks, and I'm a little negative EV, um, that that's kind of how I like to use a lot of those winner-take-alls. Um, let's well, get as someone off. who had a uh, a ninety-nine percentile cash game lineup that I entered in zero tournaments last Oof. year. Listen to the man. There's the lesson, people. I, 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 I learned that lesson um, years and years ago and, and haven't, haven't missed a, a tournament since. So get, get the upside on your cash game lineup. Uh, let's get off of our, our general strategy talk a little bit and just dive into this lobby. DraftKings has his contest out. So um, easy question. Anything jump off the page to you on, on the DraftKings lobby? Uh, well, certainly the rake does. And <laughs> yeah. if you are uh, a, a storied veteran of the DFS world, you absolutely know that as the entry size, the entry payment increases mm-hmm. for a tournament or, or really any game, the rake taken off by the sites starts to decrease. So mm-hmm. I was just looking at uh, some of the data today, and it looks like for week one, the average rake is a, above 15% up yep. until a $20 entry fee, and yep. it's above 10% all the way up until $100, where it hovers yep. right around 10%. So the simple fact of the matter is, if you are able to devote more of an overall bankroll to DFS, you are going to be in tournaments that the sites are taking slightly mess, less money from. That's just the way it is. That does not mean you can't be profitable by pl- playing in lower entry tournaments. It's just... Mm-hmm the way things work that's definitely the first thing that jumps off the page for me yeah and and like the quantifying the difference between a 15 percent rake and a 12 percent rake is is really going to be really hard to do in your when you upload your results um and, and take a look at how, how you're doing but the simple fact is if there's more money in the pool and less going to the site that's going to be a good thing um you know if, if you can only afford to play uh, five bucks a week. Um, it's it's kind of out of your hands on some sites like FanDuel. There are beginner contests, but if you are somebody that I mean, I'm just looking at the lobby right now. Like, if you're thinking about maybe playing the, I don't know, the the thirty three dollar um, bootleg, but you can afford to jump up to the fifteen dollar uh, or the fifty dollar. I'm sorry, red zone you're going to get almost a a 2% drop in rake. And again, those numbers are going to add up. So similarly structured tournaments, if you can jump up a tier and drop down in rake, um, that's really interesting to me. The first thing that I saw and that probably everybody saw is that there's two millimakers uh, for week one. Uh, Usually it's a $20 millimaker. There's a $5 and a 100. My guess is... Obviously, I have no idea or inside uh, in, inside scoop on, on what DraftKings wants to do. My guess is that's only because it's week one and they can afford or they think they're going to be able to fill, uh, what is it, $8 million worth of contests between those two contests. One prize pool is $2.5 million, the other is $5 million. Um, I would guess that they would go back to just the regular $20 millimaker starting in week two, but I could be wrong. No live qualifiers yet. Um, sometimes they, they post those later, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, one thing that I always notice about DraftKings is that 
they always have multiple versions of the same contest. So it looks like their lobby is pretty much the same this year as last year, if I can remember. Not huge changes, but um, I think a lot of people might just like look at the dollar amount, look at the prize pool, and say that's the game I'm playing, right? So a really good and extreme example right now is is the end zone so if you're at the top of the lobby you'll probably see end zone single entry with a $250,000 price pool for 75 bucks you might say I can afford to play 75 bucks it's only single entry um, that's the tournament I'm playing that tournament's only pay paying out 20% of the field 20% um, of the price pools go into first place now if we go scroll down a little bit there's another tournament it's called the end zone it's a single entry and it's $75. So on the surface, it looks almost exactly the same. Back to your point. If we sacrifice some upside for structure, you might find some huge edges. So the prize pool in the smaller one is only $50,000. It's only 757 entries um, and first place is $5,000. But almost a quarter of the field is being paid out. Only 10% is going to first place compared to 20% in the bigger one. Uh, and and ten, uh, 10th place makes up 12% of the first place prize, uh, relatively speaking. And the other one is 3% of the first place prize. So um, just make sure you're not just looking at the biggest uh, prizes for like your your buying amount if that's where you're starting um I, I think i stole your thunder a little bit on one of them matt but what are like the best looking contests to you and the games that you'll probably be playing for your personal selection for week one yeah the end zone uh that exact example uh piqued my interest as well mm -hmm. and so glad you brought it up um i also wanted to mention i'm not exactly sure the name but there are uh, like Chrome extensions and Firefox yes. extensions yeah. that can help you determine this information, rake information, and even overlay information if the contest hasn't filled. Now, for a lot of these tournaments that we're talking about, we're not really going to be talking about overlay because they're going to fill up just fine. Yeah. Um, another one that I want well, to that's hey, that's it, another reason to play small small slates and, and like late slates, right? Because absolutely. sometimes we'll get sometimes we'll get some of these random tournaments that are posted, um, you know, thirty minutes before the 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 one p.m. kickoff because everything else filled, and then you can get overlay there. So didn't mean to cut you off, but I just thought that was important to note. Well, on that note as well, make sure that you check if the tournament is guaranteed or not, because I, mm -hmm. I have also run into the situation where <laughs> yeah. when it doesn't fill, it just drops and goes back yeah. into your account, which can yeah. be no fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The, uh, the other tournament that I wanted to point out was the, the safety tournament. Uh, it's yep. a 20 lineup max entry. And for all 20 lineups, I believe it would be $60 total. So it's pretty accessible in terms of tournaments you can hand build or use an optimizer which is why i really like that 20 lineup entry size mm -hmm. um yep. and while always aiming for first place like we said we're we're into these slightly flatter payout structures in case we uh shoot for the stars and land on the moon if you will and get uh somewhere between third and tenth we still want to have a great day and uh, on top of that it has significantly less participants than the similar 20 entry max tournament that only has a $1 entry. So finding yeah. those little edges there, even just moving up to the safety, which is a $2 entry per lineup, you can play a different strategy because it's just less overall people. Yeah, just those little <clears throat> those little one dollar jumps when you when you can find the change in structure, um, it's huge for for people starting out. If uh, I I'm similar to you, I I love three max and single entry tournaments. Um, just looking at some of these higher price buy-ins, the one that really stands out to me is the stiff arm. Uh, 
200 entries, $550, uh, $555 buy-in, single entry, uh, 15,000 to first, paying out almost 27% of the field. 15% going uh, to first is a little bit high, but 10th place uh, is is 13% of the first place prize. The rake is under 10%. Again, only a 200-person field with single entry. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting strategy in those size tournaments. So um, if you can't afford to play those higher ones, that looks like the one I'll definitely be joining on DraftKings. Um, the hot route is a $100 tournament, uh, 444 entries. This one's weirdly sized uh, in terms of the max entries. It's a 13 max tournament. Um, so these are kind of the ones where I don't like being at a disadvantage like you talked about. If I can't max enter the tournament or don't plan on max entering the tournament, um, I, I usually won't play it, especially if it's 150 max. But like this one, if, if I treat it kind of like a like a five max if i only want to fire like five hundred dollars at it i don't think you're losing a ton of equity if your bankroll doesn't let you enter all 13 times um again you will be a slight of uh, disadvantage to guys that are doing it but the tournament's only 444 people um almost a quarter of the field's being paid out uh the the it's a relatively flat payout structure. You can return $5,000 to come in first if you only beat 444 people. So that's when I might, if you're like really thinking about firing a couple bullets but don't want to play in a, um, the like $100 milli or something like that, that one looks pretty interesting. Um, let's just look at one more thing. We talked about the, the games that we like. Going back, looking at the lobby and, and looking at, at what's available for week one, if you're new uh, to, to DraftKings and, and you really have like 20 to, let's say 20 to 50 bucks to play, um, what would you suggest somebody plays um, if that's just their GPP allocation going into week one? Yeah, I think that is an absolutely fine amount to begin playing. It's not that mm -hmm. you can't play GPPs, but we've talked about the sort of uh, small disadvantages, but real disadvantages that you're at when you start at the lower entries. But you can absolutely overcome that, especially by learning about strategy, creating plus EV lineups, and just consistently getting better. But you're definitely in that bankroll building phase of yeah. your DFS career, journey, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can start to make different, read riskier decisions once you have more than that overall uh, 20 to 50 to spend. And, and you can do that really with one solid weekend. So a more specific thing I would, I would consider is, uh, again, I would check out that safety tournament, although that is yep. uh, a higher entry level GPP, not in terms of uh, entry number, but in terms of there's going to be almost 12,000 participants. I think that's a great way to hopefully get some profitability with your cash lineups, but also take a shot at solid winnings at first place. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I was looking at some of the smaller buy-in tournaments. Uh, I mean, I agree with all the points that you said. But there's definitely going to be some people that don't listen to us and they just go for that <laughs> big first place prize, right? And that's all they're, they're going to look at. Um, you, you can still, if, if you're somebody that only has, uh, you know, 50 bucks, 60 bucks to play, but you're hell-bent on trying to turn it into $50,000, um, I mean, you can still look for decent structures. Um, 
the play action, which is $1 up from the safety that you were talking about. It's a 20 max tournament um, for three bucks. The field is huge. Um, 198,000 people, $50,000 to first place, but the, the actual structure of it isn't horrible, paying out 25% of the field, only 10% of the, the money going to first. Uh, 10th place is 10% relative to first place. Uh, the min cash multiplier is higher than one and a half, which a lot of these smaller buy-in tournaments, you're only turning like your $1 into $1.50. So if you are max entering, that can um, that, that can build up pretty quickly. Uh, one that's always been kind of an okay structure if you are in that like mid stakes tier and, and want to uh, max enter the slant is okay it's nine dollars it's thirty thousand dollars to first the field is like a little bit smaller than something like the um like the play action 39,000 entries they're not paying out a huge percentage of the field only 20 percent that's actually really small um but it is only 10 percent of the money going to first place um 10th place is still three grand and you do double your money if you main cash so that one is okay I would recommend listening to, to um, Matt's advice from earlier and, and being in that bank roll strategy. Um, Matt, that pretty much wraps it up for the first podcast of the year. We're going to be back every week with um, some really great strategy before we get to week one. Uh, just a reminder, next week, this is coming out on Thursday the 5th, Thursday the 12th, we will be going to streaming. Uh, that doesn't mean we won't be podcasting immediately after our stream. It will hit all major podcast platforms and that Thursday schedule will only be two weeks, 27th, which is the Friday. We will go to our, our normal uh, 3 p.m. Pacific time recording every Friday until shoot the end of January. Um, <laughs> yeah, forever. So, yeah, we are. We are in it now. Um, if you're looking for a way to get access to our DFS subscription, head over to 444.com slash prize picks and you could get one for as little as $20 if you're a new prize picks member. member. Um, be sure to check out if you're listening to this right when this publishes this morning on Thursday. Uh, look for our analysis for the Hall of Fame game. Tim Talmadge is doing a great write-up on that and he'll be around on Discord. Discord is subs subscriber only. Um, his article is subscriber only so get ready for a Hall of Fame game. There's some really good tournaments for that please go on itunes rate and review that's how uh, you can pay us back if you like the the free podcast that we put out those rate and reviews mean a ton and if you want more of what we have to say or think i'm at tg hernandez matt is on twitter at draftaholic of course four for four is there at four for four football we will talk to you guys next week